Hello everyone. Hope you're well. I am a minute early. Reason being, I want to share. How do I share? We've got an option to share. Right. Let's try it this way. I want to share it on my Facebook. What I'll do is I'm just going to go live on my Facebook for a couple of minutes because I know there will be some people unaware. I've not got my second table with me, so I'm having to hold my phone and try and send people over that way. As many people as I can. Hello, Janice. We done a test earlier on. Yeah, I just put a notification in the group, Willie, that I was coming on at half seven. Hello, Maria. We're on the book page. Um, I just put a notification into the group about half seven. So we done a test with Jack earlier. We're able to do the split screen. There shouldn't be any technical issues at all. Time will tell, I suppose. Hello, Andrew. I'm on the book page, folks. Hopefully, you are following me on the book page. Fingers crossed. Hopefully, not too many of you on the book page are going to come on and join and then bug out like what you normally do. Hello, Daz. David Adams. Wendy, hello Wendy, we are on the book page tonight. Hello Gillian. Hello Don, there shouldn't be any technical issues tonight, I've already done a test. My phone's on silent, as always, as always as it should be, Willie, should always be on silent. Hello Sarah. Yes Wendy, you are in the right place. Anybody else on my Facebook that's not come over? Mitchell McLaren, no idea, no idea, there's two people still watching on my Facebook, right, so, uh, let me just end this, right, can I ask, before any of you, any more of you disappear, if you can please share the video, if it isn't, too much trouble. Come on now. Don't be shy. It's not going to be me doing all the talking tonight. He's going to be glad to know. Yo, yo. Yo, yo. Hello. Hi, mate. Let's turn so, this down. 
This is Jack. Um, before we go any further, obviously we're at the start of the video for all 14 of you. Come on, let's be dropping a share. Um, share hints, Karen. Now, oh, there's 15 of us now. We're getting to fucking dizzy heights right now. So, um, I know there's the usual people that I'll share. I'm talking about the people that didn't normally. Please share this one. Um, this is the first time that I've had a guest on my book page. Hello, Stu. Please share it, Stu. Um, you know, I've not... I've had guests on my Facebook, but I'm wanting to have authors on my Heron to Hero book page over the coming months. Jack is the first of three authors that I've got lined up. Um, you know, and hopefully you enjoy it. Like I said, it's not going to be me talking tonight. It's not going to be awful bogey talking about a story that you've heard before and you've sick of hearing, and that's why he's a most right. It's a new story. You'll be pleased to know. So we're going to like hear for Jack. Jack's obviously an author. We're going to get some readings for Jack as well. Hear about Jack's story. Um, yeah, and hopefully you enjoy it. For once, I'm going to be sitting like that for most of the night, trying my best anyway. Um, so hello, Jack. Oh, mate. Thanks for um, having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining me, mate. Like, this is just a new thing, obviously, where um, I've got all these different groups now. And obviously, the purpose of this group, with me being an author, is about the books. And I don't do any talks about addiction or anything like that in this group, unless it's completely related to the book. Mm. Um, but this is, like I said there, I'm, I'm wanting to just get as many authors in now and talk about life as an author. Like, how we even get to this stage as being authors. Mm. Like I said to you earlier, you know, it's not um, not everybody's cup of tea. So I'll be interested. Obviously, I know most of your story anyway, because we've done a, we done a live video way last year, wasn't it? Yeah. Seven months ago or something. Yeah, um, it was, uh, I don't know, probably August, maybe? Yeah. Must have been about that. Maybe even yeah, it could have been about August. Yeah, yeah. It was the start of um, the accidental journalist in October. Right. So it was just prior to that, wasn't it? I yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah. that's been, that's a long time ago, isn't it? I mean, we're nearly no be no be long to about a year, a year past. So it's good yeah. to have you back on. Get an update to what you've been up to and stuff. So um, what I'll do, mate, is I'll shut up now. Um, and I'll let you introduce yourself to the, the listeners and the viewers and stuff, and then we'll take it from there. Okay. Hi, guys. Um, my name is uh, Jack Gregory. I'm known as the Accidental Journalist. Um, I've been writing for a few years now. Um, I always wanted to be a writer, but I couldn't read or write. I'll go over that in a little while. Um, and then when I did learn to read and write, it was through fear that I didn't write anything. So when I wrote my first book in 2017, um, about uh, the, my addiction and, and, and my life and things that had happened to me in my past and my death and sort of rebirth, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, that happened in, it, it would be six years this week. 
um, that I'd be sort of now coming round uh, and realising that actually nobody was trying to kill me. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll go back to the start, I suppose. Um, but we're going to be talking a little bit about my book, Personal Apocalypse. Um, is available on Amazon uh, as an ebook. Unfortunately, we've run out of print, uh, but we are working on a um, a longer edition. Um, that's going to be round about 160 pages more, uh, with more stories, and um, you know it's it's going to be a bit more comprehensible, um, rather than just you know basically poetry and prose there's gonna be a lot more stories i'm gonna add a bit more humor to it as well because it is a bit sort of dark um you said you wanted me to um read something from it um yeah I'm not, last time you, i read you, the uh you've done a poem the last time i think jack and i think it's good for people obviously to hear a little bit and of course um you know, to, to plug your book as best you can, mm. giving people a little snippet might just intrigue them enough to go right now or after this live, wait till after the live to go and buy Jack's book. Mm -hmm. So what, what I thought I might do is I thought I'd read the first chapter. Um, it's two, four, about five, page, four and a half pages um, where it really explains the... Um, the mindset that I was in this time um, six years ago, um, because this this time every year I go through my memories on Facebook, and there aren't many. There are only the ones that my now wife, my my, my partner, was putting out at the time um, to try and get me to respond, because I was you know like I say I, I was in a very very dark place, and I thought that social media had gone down. Um, so I, I, I wasn't on it and I was really in a sort of place where I was scared and as lonely as anybody can be. Um, so this, 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 this was written, um, I suppose, um, about a year after um, when I started compiling the book. And it's called The Apocalypse Begins. And it's about how I was in my head when... Um, you, you, you know, uh, when I was waking up, uh, I'd, I'd collapsed. I, I wasn't well. Um, I'd been ill for days, um, weeks, and uh, I had to go to the hospital, uh, and I died. I physically died for four minutes, um, and then came back with brain damage through hypoxia. Um, so yeah, this 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 is from from the book, um, and it's uh, this it's the first chapter. It's called "The Apocalypse Begins." Um, I do apologise to those who have heard it, um, and you know it might be a bit sad for some people, but um, yeah. <sighs> the apocalypse begins. I've deliberated for so long about where to start with this book. At the very beginning, at the end. Or somewhere in the middle. This is a posing question even at the time of me writing as there are the poetic ramblings of a troubled man then I shall just attempt to let my mind flow and my fingers do the work. 
March 15th, 2015. I awoke from my medically induced state. My eyes struggled to adjust to the artificial light of the white-walled ventilation room I found myself incarcerated in. Dry, crusty mucus caused by the oxygen ho hose blocked my nose. I could only breathe through my open mouth and that was with extreme concentration. My eyes struggled to adjust to the bright medical lights. There I was in a whitewashed room with walls so bright they reflected what little light came through the window onto my face. My only view through the window was a brick wall. Dazed, confused and struggling to breathe, I pulled the drip pipe from my cannula and attempted to make my escape. How had I gotten here? Where was I? And, where the uh, and what the hell had they done to me? I moved my legs slowly around the side of the bed. I felt so weak, yet was obviously being held prisoner in some sort of medical research facility. I was being tested on, trapped in a total nightmare. As soon as my feet hit the ground, I let go of the side of the bed and I hit the floor face first. What kind of hell was this? Had I woken up in a movie, a zombie infested reminiscent, uh, sorry, a zombie infested scene reminiscent of 28 Days Later or The Walking Dead? I had no strength to pull myself up at all. All I could do was slowly slide towards the door and make my day an escape. In front of me was a hardwood door with a small window and I could see, sorry, and I could not even muster up the strength to look through it. Yet, to my left, a heavy door that was slightly ajar. I had found my means of escape now. All I needed to do was muster up the strength to claw, to crawl and to my, make my way to freedom. Somehow I managed to push the door open a little more and grabbing the door frame I managed to pull myself up onto the bobbled bathroom floor. I took it took every ounce of breath, every ounce of breath and strength for me to drag myself up onto my knees so I could roll myself onto the shower chair to sit down and regain regain my failing rattling breath as the pain in my chest was so intense. I looked up to the mirror, the clinical white porcelain sink. Who was this man looking back at me? Emaciated and white with a yellow tint to his skin, his eyes bulging from his tight skin covered skull that resembled something quite alien. My lips cracked, dry and blistered, swollen and beyond recognition. My chest blistered in flame where the undercover policeman had laid an acid-laden sheet to torture me, to extract information, and it burned, burned so badly. The pain was maddening and soul-destroying, and I deserved nothing less. I heard the door with the window pushed open violently, and the commotion ensued. My heart began beating fast. It felt like I was going to break. Uh, through my already fragile and Belgian-like chest. It was fight or flight and I had strength to do neither. Perhaps it was just time to die. 
I limply fell to the floor and rolled in front of the door in a feeble attempt to barricade myself in. My attempts were however futile. The door burst open with ease, rolled me over with force. I looked up and stifled a scream as the masked men, reminiscent of characters from some sort of contagion movie, leaned over me, glaring at me. I could feel the hate from their eyes burning into my soul. I could not understand the muffled voices as I pathetically tried to put up a feeble fight. I felt a painful jab into the, my right buttock and all went black. I didn't know how long I was asleep, unaware of my surroundings. The room felt different, the air heavier, and I must have slept a long while as my clean shaven face was awry now with matted facial hair. My mouth dry, I could barely breathe, barely swallow, yet I dared not to drink the water as I feared it was tainted poison with my own blood. A ploy to keep me sick whilst the drugs kept me partially sedated. I trusted no one, especially the ones I knew. Facebook had gone down days before, sorry, days ago, as it flooded with the news of betrayal of this earth. I had poisoned it with my dirty breath. I always thought weapons of mass destruction would end this earth. Turns out it was a northern monkey that poisoned it with a contagion of tuberculosis and God knows what else. I was a test subject, a living incubator for any and all nefarious and insidious diseases that could bring about the end of the world. I was trapped in a state of limbo, the fine line between sleeplessness and exhaustion. Sirens intermittently surround, uh, sound letting me know one more million people had died another reason to torture me outside the sun was failing and the world was falling outside the very building i was hostage in was home to nothing but rotting corpses remnants of friends family and the unlucky and it was i that caused this if i could only cry if i could only show how sorry i really was then maybe just maybe they would stop the torture and let me die instead of this hell. The room next door was awry and crammed packed with people that I once knew, I once loved, and who once loved me, now united in hate and this common goal of watching me suffer. The ones who died were replaced by robots, by clones, or just by clever disguises. They would intermittently visit me to try and fool me deceive my very soul and tell me everything was going to be fine yet in secret they would hold kangaroo court and agreed to let me die if everyone would agree and the only one who wanted me to live just to make me better and live out my days destined to be the last human was my niece Haley, and she kept me alive out of love not hate Every torture technique, mental and physical, I took because I knew I deserved it. However, there were some that broke me. Bear in mind, I believe that most of my family had either died of shock or disease. My girlfriend had been brainwashed and fed lies through an earpiece every time she visited, forced to get 
Foster tried to get me to take poison, to get me to eat poisoned food tainted with my own deadly blood. I knew their game, so I would eat, and eventually I would, wouldn't eat, so I would then eventually die of starvation and on my own terms. My daughter died days before and I was being forced to video call with her whilst they used her like a puppet to try and fool me. I just wanted to die. Why would they not let me die? Granted, the lead pastor from the church had come, come in to read me my last rites, but he knew that the end of days were here and I was destined for hellfire because the angels dare not come because the demons were ravenous. My friend Paul Julian would visit because his faith in God was strong enough. He just wanted me to repent. This was not Paul. This was a robot designed to fool me. Two weeks later, I don't know when things started to get better, to get easier and clearer. The fear, self-loathing, paranoia began to subside. The hallucinations, the voices and hate were gone. The fog on my brain was clearing and after years of dipping in and out of religion, pretending to be a Christian to excuse my behavior, I finally accepted Jesus Christ into my life and from death I was reborn. My life had got better over the past two years or so, not that it had been easy. I have dealt with some real personal trauma and tragedy but with the help of my church, with the help of my friends and my little family, with Joanna, my partner, and our respective children, I have begun to grow in my faith, strength, and love. I am now in a position where I can write about it, share about my life, my experience, my strength, my weakness, and my hope to try and get other people to recover from mental illness and find purpose in life. So comes this book, These Ramblings of a Troubled Man, in attempts to shed some light on the messed up world I created for myself and the events that eventually led me to a very personal apocalypse. Hold the book up, Jack. I, think, I th didn't think it was going to be camera, but that, that's the front cover, folks. Um, head over to, is that on Amazon? Yeah, it's on Amazon and it's available on ebook at the moment. Um, the, the the second edition should be out within the next few months. Brilliant! Thank you. Thanks for that, Jack. I appreciate that. It's, it's it's never easy reading a reading reading your story. You know, back. Yeah, it's quite. It's not as raw as it was. You know, like I say, it's, it's pretty much six years to the time it was when I I was going through all that, and. Um, you know, my life has changed so much since then. So what what I'll do is I'll go back to the start um, and, and give my story and, and, you know, then we can get back to that. Um, so I was born at North Avenue. I was born in um, Glasgow um, and brought to England when I was six months old by my mum and... Um, she was uh, and, and her sisters and her, her, her brother and they were all reeling from the fact that my grandfather um, had died in police custody um, in Glasgow uh, 
so that was 1977 late 1977 um, and by 1980 81 I've been taken away and I've been adopted into a in, into a family in uh, just outside of Wakefield in West Yorkshire and I never knew any of this um, I always felt a bit different, you know, I had a sister uh, and two parents that I loved a lot, but I always felt a bit different, I was shy, I was, shy, I was timid, um, I wouldn't speak unless I was spoken to, and I always felt different at school, I, 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 I couldn't get, write things down, I, I, I couldn't read, um, you know, I, I could barely write my name. So I was just put down as a bit of a lazy child. Um, and I suppose, like, things were... Things were kind of all right until my eighth birthday. So that would have been May the 13th, 1980... 85 and we'd had pop and uh, scones and cake you know those platters that every northern mother made you know and we'd have friends around and it was good and then that night i was sat on my mum's knee as i often did watching the telly um and my dad was sat reading his paper and my mum said you know she said you know i love you i love you too mum and then she said um Love you very much, but um, there's something that we need to tell you. Um, I'm not your real mum. Uh, you've got a mum somewhere else um, that couldn't look after you. And that's when it went dark for me. It's when it broke me. Looking back through, through all the years of therapy, it's when I it's, it's when it broke me. Um, it's where my fear of rejection came from. And it broke my brain, and I became someone that I was. I, you know, I, I used to be happy. I, I was happy to go look at up until then, I suppose. But then I, I, I started to go into myself. I, I couldn't get on with the kids in the in the neighbourhood really well. You know, I, I got bullied and things like that and I felt different and there were members of my fam my own family um, that treated me different so I you know I, I guess that I used that as an excuse really um, in 1989 I was sent to a school for maladjusted children that was um, It was just a special school system. It was massive as a special school. Um, the kids there weren't particularly nice to me. They they were all a lot stronger than me. I came from a, a really sort of good background. You know, my mum and dad owned their house. Nice town, uh, nice house. I had everything that I ever wanted. And these kids didn't. They were all from council estates, broken families. Um. Uh, but I got bullied um, so by the time I was like f 
14 I was just messed up you know I could get drugs readily just like that you know um, one thing I was always good at was a, a cross-country running the school that I went to um, a place called Wentvale in Pontefract it, it's um, it's basically in the set like in the center of like a mile from anywhere in any direction so at dinner time, I, 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 I could do a run and I, I could run knockoff CDs that, that were just starting to come out. Um, you know, I, I remember, I think one of the first ones that I ever did was Fat of the Land. Um, porn, um, knockoff videos, you know, and I, uh, a few drugs and I made a bit of money. I was good at it oh, and I would drink at school behind the bike sheds teachers didn't give a shit if, if 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 you were bad they used to send you off to the army youth team so by the time i left school um i had you know, you know the only qualifications that i left school with was a certificate on riding a 50cc moped changing a fuse in a plug and a couple of first aid things that we did at the local power station but i could teach climbing caving canoeing abseiling um we'd done gully walking i spent most of the weekends with um certain teachers and things like that um that's when i was first abused and i kept it to myself and it's only over these past couple of years that i've been able to admit it to myself and to other people I went to my first AA meeting at 14. Um, I saw something then, and I, you know, I've been in and out of the, the, the fellowships ever since. Um, I left home at 17, 18, moved into a, uh, a, a temporary place out in out in Wakefield where I was sharing with students. I did nothing but lie. I was that's one thing I was good at. I could always lie. Um, you know, I could always make a penny um, because I, I was just I, I could weave a story. I you know, and I, I was working with some of the best best um, con men in, in in the country at the time. You know, uh, at, at, at the weekends we were out in Leeds doing long cons, short cons, uh, flips, all sorts. Uh, so, you, you know, um, I moved out of there uh, into a little bed sit in a place called Horse Fair in Pontefract, um, on and off with, with drugs. It's where I first tried LSD and stuff like that. Uh, in and out. Um, leading a double life I came across as quite weak um, I didn't get no trouble um, and I was actually to be honest but I suppose I realized I was getting a kick in once and I realized that actually it didn't hurt as, a, as much as I thought it did and that I could actually pretty much take a, a, a punch back than anybody that's one thing I've learned and, um, and then actually when I threw a punch back I could throw it back quite twice as hard um 
so that went on and off off for years and i was leading a, a double life triple life out making money taking drugs you know one week one week i'd be drinking champagne with um businessmen you know on, on a long con the next I'd, I'd be down at the whippet trap you know tried to get sober many times i had a friend upstairs his name was darren loved the man to bits he you know he he tried to get me away from all that and he, he took me under his wing he taught me magic he taught me um you, you know the art of illusion and escapeology he taught me um he started teaching me how to get my thoughts down on paper um he's the one that um tried to get me to write down my poetry because i'd always had that in my head i was always good with words i could just never get it down on paper um it would take me uh, you know it teach me to be a dj he'd take me to poetry evening so i could go and uh, do performance poetry and then he was involved in an accident uh, i don't know if you know what a gully sucker is but it's th those things that um they they sweep the sides of the roads well he used to he used to have to drive it around a country road um pretty much on the top of a hill we don't know how it happened but it it, it went down a cliff and he got thrown from the gully sucker and it, it landed on his bottom half and it smashed his pelvis and he survived it it was a big man he was six he was six foot four 20 odd stone um a proper fighter he was he was even up and walking in hospital a few weeks later and then he said tired went to bed never woke up and that's the first time that I lost anybody that I loved. He was the man that had me locked in his bedroom, screaming, watching me go cold turkey, holding me, cuddling me, making me drink water, um, taking all the abuse um, I needed to get away. So I moved to Portsmouth. Uh, I got sober in Portsmouth um through the cranston project um and when i was um coming up to 30 days one of the guys said uh you know one, one of the people that worked there went what do you like and i said that i liked films and stuff like that and i said oh well you know i've got i've, I've got a friend that's working as a runner on a film out uh, the filming in berkshire this week if you want to um you know, i mean if you if you want to go out there get to 30 days sober and i'll take you out um and that was uh that was snatch um and it was the infamous uh whippet scene um and i got to talk to some people and it was nice and then i got on the princess trust and i did uh, three months on that and i got a job working as a comedy club magician as as a sound techie uh, things were going great and then I, you know I, I i met a woman that lived in norwich um and then i moved over here and things yeah i was i was clean and sober for 12 years and then my marriage ended and i'm not going to say it's no fault of my own because it is you know i take full responsibility of the things that i did um 
and I ended up in and out of different places, sleeping on people's sofas, and you know, then I ended up homeless, and um, I would I would use women for what I could get. And that saddens me now, it really does. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really, you know, I, I didn't treat people as well as I should. And a lot of people got hurt. Anyway, I ended up back on the gear having a full-on mental fucking breakdown just going absolutely nuts all i wanted was somebody to acknowledge how i was feeling um you know i lost an aunt i've lost an uncle you know um i've lost a friend um i'd seen somebody uh killed on 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 their um moped um and it, it sent me wild mate to be honest it, it sent me it sent me mad um you know um once i i i got in a i got in that sort of my mind frame of of, of a toxic masculinity um you know um I've had a few fights in my time, I've had a few for money. You know, I've spent a bit of time down in um in basements and you know, I've got myself got myself in trouble and um you know, one thing I missed out, I, I ended up doing a, a a bit of time for getting caught stamping on somebody's head. Um before I moved to Portsmouth and um That's one thing that I sort of regretted because when I lost my temper, it was everything that ever got on my, you know, everything that ever hurt me, I I, I, I put into my rage. So there I am, I'm homeless. Um, I'm sat in a crack house, totally off my nut. On God knows what, drunk God knows God knows what. I tried to get into the film industry. I'd written a pretty good script. You know, some people had taken it on, and then um, saw that I was going into this mad rage, and I ended up signing it away for four years and losing it. But um, I sat and I just cried, and I said, "God, I can't do this no more. I can't live like this no more." I don't even know if you exist, God, but if you do, if you are real, please take away this hurt. Please take away this hunger for drugs. Please take away this thirst for drugs. Please just stifle my addiction and, and, and just take it away. Um, this must have been the 26th of June, 2014.
I've been going to a, a food bank as well, which is quite relevant. And um, I fell asleep. It must, you know, it must have been about 10, 11 o'clock at night. And I fell asleep. And then I woke up after 12 o'clock. No desire to use. I haven't used since. Seven years on the 27th of June. But still, I didn't have the drugs. I didn't have to drink, but I still had that mentality. Um, I was at the food bank and there was this very kind woman that um, mentioned that she liked my t-shirt. I was wearing a Doctor Who t-shirt and um, she bought me some tobacco and she, um, she took me for, despite being told not to, she took me for a, a sandwich and something to eat. And she showed me some real compassion. She's my wife now. You know. It's, it's been a long road. It's been a long road to recover. Especially mentally. Um, you know. And I. Uh, I was kind of living with uh, in a. Spare room. And I was just. The guy was insane. He, 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 he was, was doing drugs left, right and centre. And I, I couldn't do it no more. I, I just, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. Um, ended up moving in with Joe, my wife, uh, now. Uh, and um, it was all right. And then the February of 2015, I started to get quite ill. Ended up in hospital with stomach problems, uh, gallbladder problems, which I still got. <laughs> um, you know, and then by the end of March, April, that's when I ended up in hospital um, with tuberculosis, pleurisy double pneumonia, some disease that they hadn't seen in about 70 years. Um, you know, I'd, the drugs that they gave me were, you could say hallucinogenic, but not just visually, but um, auditory, which is why I, one of the reasons that I had my breakdown. Um, one of the drugs that they gave me had a really bad adverse reaction um, and came out in a sort of really bad blisters on my chest, um, which is why I thought they um, put a, a, a towel covered with acid on my chest. And that's what started everything off. That's what started me going into that thing. Full of fear, full of regret, full of anger, full of self-hatred, um, self-loathing. I wanted to die. I tried several times before and couldn't fucking pull it off. And the reason I wanted to die is because I couldn't, not for me, but I couldn't bear putting the people that I loved through what they were going through.
couldn't bear seeing my daughter watch me deteriorate. I couldn't bear seeing the people that I loved, that the family that I built. I didn't want them to watch me suffer, so I pushed everyone away and they said I wasn't going to eat. So there I was, six stone, six ounces, laying in a hospital bed. I'd lost 50% of my muscle mass. I had to learn to walk again. I couldn't eat if I wanted to. The only thing that I could gulp down was jelly. Um, I really wanted to eat, but my mouth was full of blisters because of my teeth were falling out. Um, I remember Joe bringing me a, I think it was a KFC. No, it wasn't a KFC. It was a some southern fried chicken place. Just trying to get me to eat. And I wanted to eat it. You could see I wanted to eat it. But I was still racked with fear. You know, and I, I, I couldn't eat, have eaten it if I wanted to. And then the doctor said that they saw me deteriorate so fast that they've never seen anybody just have an adverse reaction like that. And I went mute. I couldn't physically speak. I wouldn't physically speak. I was so scared. I was racked with so much fear. All I could do was lay on that bed and just do nothing. I couldn't cry. I wanted to cry. I thought if I could cry, that might show that actually I regret some of the things that I've done in my past. Um, I regret, 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 regret. And it just got worse. And I fell into my own mind. And it was dark for a long time long time and then I, like I said I don't know when but it started to get a bit better in my head I heard them say stood out the door see there were, every night I would hear them in my head hold this kangaroo coat and they would bang on a desk with a you know some sort of gavel or a cup or whatever I don't know what it was this was in you know obviously in my head And the sirens that were going off, I now know that they were like life support machines in other rooms. But all I could hear was, it was like an air raid siren. So it was like, you know, it seemed like every hour. So I thought that's one more million dead. The room must have been quite near the helipad. The famous hospital, we've got a helipad. Um, you know, we've got quite a few helipads where we are. Um, so I'd hear that go off and then I'd hear the helicopters come in. And that to me was them flying in the people that I'd hurt, just so they could come and watch me from the room next door with CCTV and mock me. You know, and it's only now, these years later, that I'm even seeing, you know, able to make sense of some of this stuff that I couldn't even make when I wrote the first book. 
which is probably another reason why that I'm you know doing a a, a bigger um, uncut unabridged book um, you know uh, everybody I'd ever lost sat on my heart you know and I watched my best friend throw himself in front of a train because he couldn't handle the world he couldn't handle his own mental health he thought being gay was all up here couldn't tell his mum and dad to refer himself in front of a fucking train um, so yeah I start to get better like Jesus at the end of my bed and people might say oh well you know Jack that's a bit that's that's just a touch of the psychosis but I could not stop by my own will no matter how much I tried I could not change for wanting to change I had to surrender my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him and there's been some dark times in recovery and it's been fucking hard it's been really fucking hard I do apologize if my swearing offends anybody you know I've uh, I've I found my real mum lost her to cancer that broke me I didn't use good for you my two-day-old niece was beaten by a father something clicked in his head and she died he was sent down 10 years got into spice was murdered by his cellmate so my family got no got no closure and I hated him and I went to the funeral and it took, it took nearly a year to get the funeral one of the elders from my church took me you know paid for a hotel room and everything and then you know because he knew that I couldn't go through it alone and his mum come up to me and she hugged me that broke me but I didn't use because the whole thing about turning your will and your life over to the care of God to surrender to truly surrender you know about this being a soldier sometimes you have to surrender to win you know when the threat to the loss of life is so much that you're going to lose so much you have to surrender to win and that's what I did surrender my will and life over to the care of God as I understood him And I forgave him.
don't mean I have to like him. Because unforgiveness is poison. Holding unforgiveness in your heart is so poisonous it's like drinking a poison and expecting the other person to die. Who was me hating him? Who is it affecting? Is it affecting him or is it affecting me? Certainly affecting him. Yeah. I'm sure he never gave me two thoughts. So I said, God, I can't do this anymore. I cannot forgive this man. In fact, there's so many people in my life that I cannot forgive. I cannot forgive these people. But you can. That's the biggest bit of wisdom I've got from ever got from one of my heroes. One of my heroes is a woman called Corrie Ten Boom. Now, Corrie Ten Boom was a prisoner of war as, as a child. She hid young girls away from Nazi SS officers to stop them from being raped. Her sister was raped. Her, you know, she spent all this time in a camp and, and, you know, she hid these young girls away from it, even when it was like danger to herself. And one day she's sharing a story in front of all these people. 30 years later or whatever and this man walks up to her and he said she recognised him as one of the most evil SS guards that she'd ever met one of the most evil men she'd ever met and he said I was one of these guards I tortured people I did things that I'm not proud of I found God can you forgive me and she thought no I can't forgive you but God can and she gave him a hug. That's what I did. The people that hurt me, the people that abused me, the people that brought me hate, the people that made me live in fear, people that have done me wrong, the people that have done family wrong. It was poisoning me so badly that I was getting to the point where I wanted to die again. Because I couldn't handle it. And I tried several times, you know. Um, the last time I put a gun to my throat, pulled the trigger and it jammed cleaned it put it to my throat again and it had jammed went to do it the next time and somebody knocked the door now tell me God doesn't exist it was then and only then when I started looking at forgiveness and specifically unforgiveness and looking back at the steps of the programs that I'd been going in and out for years and then I'd have 
so long sobriety and then I'd end up something would happen and I, you know somebody would piss me off and I'd end up using again but this time it was different I wasn't and I, I, I was working the program and I, you know I was looking at the how you know honesty open-mindedness and willingness I got honest with myself I got honest with the people around me I opened my mind, I opened my heart, and I opened my soul to the concept of a God that I understand. And that wasn't easy because I believed that God existed. Well, not, not even believed, I knew that God existed. But could I forgive him for what he put me through? <laughs> you know. And... Um, you know, I got honest with myself, I got honest with other people, I got honest with God. I became open-minded. I started looking at ways to stay clean, to help, not just to help myself stay clean, but to help others stay clean. And I got a willingness to learn, but not just to learn, to educate. Because I believe if you've been in a certain, if you've lived a certain way of life, you've done certain things even if you can't teach teach you know um, so I started educating myself and I started getting you know wanting to educate other people and the biggest fear that I had was facing my past facing my demons and writing them down looking at my mental illness what I call my dragon, you know, and yeah, I, I, I started to write and that's when the first book sort of, you know, I, I did it quite quickly. There were a few mistakes in it, but it never got picked up. I think that's another, one of the other reasons why I want to do another, another version because I've learned so much. And then in 2016, um, I started talking to um, people that had gone through sexual abuse and um, stuff like that, uh, human trafficking. One of my good friends had, had, had been trafficked as, as, as a child by her father. And I wanted to write a book. So I did. Started talking to these people. And that's when I started realizing what I'd been through. That's when it unlocks these things that actually what these people did to me when I was younger, these who should have been appropriate adults, how they treated me, how they touched me, how you know, how they talked to me. That was wrong. What they did to me, that was wrong. And every bit of toxic masculinity started to ooze away. And I cried. One thing that brain damage left me with was I can't always read what people, I can't read people's faces. I can't read in text intent, which is why it really drives me mad. I can write it from memory very well, but I can't translate that book. 
yeah, it, it just it all resonated with me. So, you know, I wrote that book. And then I had some mental health issues on, on and off. And I came across uh, Kelly Massey and her family. Some Somebody had written a book about her dad. Um, and Paul was this supposed gangster. And it took me maybe 10, 15 minutes on the internet to find out that actually not everything is black and white. Um, and he was murdered um, by a hitman. So united by this, losing somebody violently, we started to write the Paul Massey book. And then, you know, mental health ensued in between. I think for both of us, really, we had some time off and then, you know, anyway, Steve, uh, Steve Rafe got involved and he helped some shit off. Um, and, you know, I started learning things and I started talking to people. I started networking. I started getting involved with people um, who had all either been involved with crime or been, perp you know, perpetrators or victims. Um, and, uh, yeah, then I met you, um, started talking to you, and our stories kind of resonated, you know, I was never that hero, <laughs> you know, I couldn't have served the country, but what I, I realised what I could do was a life of service actually is a good life. And what I can actually do is not just serve God, but I can serve my community. Um, and part of my community is people online that um, have addictions, that have mental health issues, that have problems. There are so many podcasts out there um, that are based around true crime. And yeah, I do touch upon true crime. And they're brilliant. They are absolutely brilliant. But people weren't tackling the things that I needed people to know about. I needed people to know that no matter what they were going through, no matter what drug they were taking, no matter what mental health problem they were having, no matter how many times they fought a suicide, no matter who the people they were around, no matter what toxic things were in their life, that they were loved and that they deserved to be loved and that they are not the sum of their mistakes and they are not the sum of the people that they hung around you know all they needed maybe was a bit of wisdom you only get to get keep what you have by giving it away and that's all I can do. So after talking to you, out, you know, we, we did it like this. Um, you know, it must, must have been more August. Was it August last year? Um, and, uh, you know, I opened up and I, I shared some things pretty much like this. Not, not too much different to this. Some things I've gone into that I didn't go into then. But, you know, um, I was sat in my house and not in the shed, you know. But... Um, 
and I started to think, well, I want to do something, but I can't for the life of me write it down at the minute because my brain wouldn't work. So I wanted to do something a little bit different and I didn't really have a lot of confidence in speaking, didn't have a lot of confidence in myself. So I thought I need to step over fear. So I spoke to Jason Edwards, a good friend of mine, who's a, a top hostage um, and barricade negotiator. Um, I've had him on the show twice now. Um, and he agreed to be my first, first interview. And that's where the accidental journalist was born. I suppose that was around September, October last year. And since then, I've had some absolutely phenomenal people on. You know, Willie last night, uh, his, his story astounded me. Um, you know, um, people like Willie. I, I, I swore that I would... If people didn't have a voice, I would give them the platform for them to be heard. If they didn't have the ability to get their voice across, I would help them get their voice across. Um, that's why I've had so many sort of unknown people on just sharing the stories of experience, strength and hope, along with some people like Peter Blexley, Dominic Nagus, you know, uh, Jeff Holland from High to High, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, Michael Fenton Stevens, uh, Jaz uh, Jasmine Singera. You know, some some of the bigger names that, that I've had on. Um, but it's all because I wanted to give a voice because when I was growing up, I didn't feel that I had a voice and people wouldn't listen to me and people wouldn't... When I was having my breakdown, um, people wouldn't listen to me. They told me to man up. They didn't just tell me to man up. They told me to stop living in my own fucking drama. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't helpful. You can never tell anybody that. So, you know, um, I started getting educated. I started getting wise. Um, and that's what I do now. I I educate myself and I, I try to educate other people. Um, and if my story can affect one person at a time, that's why I do it. Um, I guess that's where I am sat here today. Um, and that makes you a hero in your own right. Everybody is in their own right that, that are battling recovery every day, have lived a traumatic life. And at the end, I right now as we sit in this minute, this day, are doing the things like you're doing, that you just said they are giving people a platform. But not, not only that, your your willingness to open up your own story, your own life, you know, as traumatic as it was, your willingness to do that, you'll never know really how many people you touch with your story. That's the thing. You know, you, you hear the words coming out of your mouth and you see it to the camera looking at my looking at my face, but people will be listening to your story um, that maybe aren't, aren't quite so brave, that um, had similar experiences happen to them, similar, that, that happened to you, you know, and maybe they've not got the strength to maybe talk and be open about it. But the fact that they see you sitting there saying that you've got those, those traumatic things happen to you and you never used, 
so many times you could have used and you never, you know, that in itself is inspirational to give people that strength because they'll be looking at you thinking, wait a minute, I, I, I was on um, Paul's page with Jack that night and similar thing happened to Jack as what happened to me and, and, and he come out all right, you know, so it's giving, giving people hope. So in, in my fucking eyes, you are a hero, Jack, you know, um, and other people, and other people like you that are that are brutally honest about sharing their traumatic lives because it isn't for everyone. Most people hide, would hide away and be embarrassed and ashamed and stuff to tell their story. And guess what happens? They end up fucking depressed. They end up fucking suicidal because you know keeping keeping stuff like that to yourself. I just didn't. It doesn't help our mental health by bottling it up and only talking to ourselves in our own heads about the problems. I think when you open up, like I'm sure when the messages that have come in the night are all massively supportive for you. I'm sure even on your own page, the people that you meet in life every day now, even on social media, I'm sure they're all massively supportive for you and find you an inspiration as well. You know, and that, um, that ability to do that, I don't know about you, but for me, it helps my mental health. Like somebody, somebody asked me um, last week, I've got like a life coach at the moment, right? And she says, who looks after you? Like you're spending all your time helping all these other people and it's amazing what you're doing, but who looks after Paul Bogey? Like who looks after Paul Bogey's mental health and stuff? You know, and then when I, th I think about it, and I was like, do you know what the answer to that is? Is that by me helping these people, I'm helping myself. The more I find myself helping people, the better I feel within myself. Going to the prison yesterday, shitting myself walking in. W driving home through the prison, I was on fucking cloud nine driving over the bridge coming home because I felt so proud of myself for trying to help them, you know, and in turn, I was maybe going to help them, maybe help plant a seed with their drug addiction problems, which is helping them, but then for me personally, in my life, it was good, so, and, and that's why I'm doing this whole um, fucking social media thing, like, it's mental, you, you know, social media is a fucking mental thing, um, but talking, like you were saying, like I've been nervous about talking to the camera and stuff. And I was like, that and start. Um, it gets easier over time. Like, you know, the more you talk, the more you get used to seeing your face in the camera, hearing your voice and things. That's quite a, an off putting thing that was, it was for mm. me. Really hated the sound of my voice. That's and, what I do, to be honest. Yeah. And well, you like, get used to it. Yeah, and you, my face. See my face on the camera when I was watching Facebook videos, watching them back and stuff. It's like fucking hell, man. You're like spud at the train spotting, you know. And it's just like you just have you're just that super critical, yeah. But thanks very much for coming on, Jack. Um, I'm certain that'll not be the last time that you come on. Um, like I said earlier, you know, this is a, this is the start of something new on this page, and. It's been a pleasure to have you as my first guest. Thank you. Know? you. And I'm sure everybody has enjoyed it. 
certainly all the comments that, that have came in and stuff have been super supportive for you, as am I. Um, and I'm sure even those those that are a bit um, shy still support you, you know, mm. definitely 100%. And I'm sure the guests that you're going to get on in the future, you're just going to go from strength to strength in what you're doing. You know, and like we, we, we both know recovery is a battle every day. Mm. For the rest of our lives, mate. But at the end of the day, it's not worth it for, you know, to sit here as proud authors. How fucking amazing is that? Mm. Like, you know, it's like, it's just mental. It's just fucking mental. You would be the same if you were going, if you were going back 25, 20 years ago and thinking at some point in your life you were going to be an author. You'd be like, shut the fuck up. Right? Mm. You, wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it. And I would be the exact same. There's no fucking chance I could mm. write a fucking book. Like, there's no even, like, we're not even getting close to that, eh, writing a book. And look at us now, sitting here, proud authors, you know, talking about your book. You're reading for your book, which mm. I'm massive. Right? It was nice for me to sit and listen for once. I think it's the longest Facebook Live video I've ever done without fucking talking. You know, <laughs> like, it was just, it was good to listen to your story and then, even as you were telling your story, I had questions that I wanted to ask you. And I was like, right, shut up. Then I fucking <laughs> interrupt. You know? And it was like, the question, like, the thing that got me out your story, there's a couple of things, a couple of questions that I've got for you. Well, yeah, an observation, An observation and a question. Observation was like, you, you say it yourself that you, when you were, you were sitting on your mum's knee when you were younger and then you found out that she wasn't your real mum. And it was quite an instant, you see, they went black. It was like in your mind, like it, it, was, it, was, it was quite an instant thing. Do you think it was from, from that point? Because obviously we both do talk about drug addiction and where drug addiction stems from. Where does it come from? It has to come from somewhere mm. and to tackle it, to be able to tackle it, we have to understand where the root is. Mm. And, you know, many people talk and ha many people have different opinions and stuff and everybody's entitled to them. Um, but it's my belief that things that happen as we're, when we are kids determine the mindset that we're going to have as adults. And yeah. then when you throw drugs into the mix, you know, you create this fucking cocktail that's going to explode at some point. Mm. Um, and then when you say that, um, I know you had other traumatic things happen to you in, li yeah, in life, Jack. Um, you know, but being at an AA meeting when you're 14, I mean, fucking hell. Like, you know. Abuse came there as well, you know, from people trying to 13 step me. Um, you know, um and I, I, you, you know, the truth is that, you know, my, my first meeting, I was taken by one of the teachers from the school that sort of fiddled me. So, you, you know, tried to pass me around. But um, that's, that's, that's for another day, really. But I, I, I guess that being told I was adopted was my first major trauma. 
and I did not know how to handle it. And yes, it did go dark. And look at it. I look at it now, and I know what adoption means. I know that you, you know. Uh, you look at the you you look at biblical adoption. Um, you know uh, when, when a, a Roman emperor would adopt a, a child, that child would then be above actually their firstborn child because they were adopted. They were chosen. They would get everything, and the firstborn child, what they were entitled to, would get nothing. Mm -hmm. you, you know um, the adoption does mean love. You know uh, the in, in BSL sign language, um, the, the, the sign for adoption is adoption. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's taking something and loving it, um, despite them not feeling loved. I understand that. And I love my parents very, very much. Um, but I could not face it for years because I, I can't say I felt betrayed, but I felt unloved and no people could tell me oh we, we love you but if everything that you have then falls by the wayside because of that that's when it, it, it starts i i believe i was predisposed to be allergic to certain chemicals let's say you know yeah. my brain is predisposed to thinking in a certain way um i suffer from uh, lack of confidence at times i suffer from poor mental health uh, and i haven't treated my body and my mind that well in the past so all these things come to catch up yeah you know um so yeah i mean it that's that is when it went dark uh, and i used that to fuel behaviors you can't blame me i'm adopted yeah at least you're not fucking adopted you know at least you're loved you know i'm only loved because i feel sorry for me you know yeah. i'm only loved because you know and you, you, you just get into that vicious cycle and then you can't get out of it by your own steam. Um, and for years I had that black dog barking in my face, you know, when I let my uh, addiction, my dragon rule my life um, because of that one trauma, which then caused trauma upon trauma upon trauma upon trauma. Um, I didn't trust people. Um, you know, so it's 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 not just how we deal with the victories in life. I've had some really good victories over the past few years, but it's how we deal with the defeats as well. Um, because sometimes victory is the same as defeat is given into those same compulsive competitive urges. Um, yeah. So you know, we, we have to look at that. Um, Am I a righteous man? That's for God to know. Am I a good man, which is what I always wanted to be? That's for other people to, you know, tell me. You know, I'm. Uh, well, I think you are. It's mind sure on matter, that, isn't it? I'm <laughs> sure that everybody that you speak to um, 
certainly in recent times anyway, Jack, like I'm pretty sure they would all say that you are and you know, it wouldn't be a case that they're just saying that to you. Um no. I th- no. you have you've turned a corner uh, in life and it's clear to see and it's clear by the way that you talk and stuff that you've got remorse for things that you've done. Um and I think now the thought the question, the question that I wanted to ask you, um, that I wasn't wanting to interrupt you, die in for four fucking seconds, right? One, two, three, four. Is there anything that you can remember happening in that four seconds, or is it just blank and you were just told, Jack, you died for four seconds? Um, and then we managed to, to bring you back, you know, and then yeah, that minutes, memory. Yeah. It was four minutes. Um four minutes. Four minutes. Fuck. Um yeah. Um four fucking minutes. Four I'm, minutes. Fucking, I'm not gonna count that out because we'll fucking be here all night, but fucking hell man, four minutes. Four minutes. Um well just under four minutes, about three minutes forty eight, forty nine, something like that. Um This is one of the reasons why I believe God exists and not for the reason that people might think. Because of the way that I went into that, I saw nothing. I remember nothing but darkness. But when I came out, that darkness got all so much worse. And that was, you, you know, my wife would, would, would tell you that that is just, that was the worst weeks of her life, of, 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 of anybody's life watching me go through that, you know. Um, because when I came out, I needed to be undone. Mm-hmm. I needed to be undone. And I know people will say, how can God be that cruel? I needed to be undone there was no way on earth that this thick head would put those things together that there was no way that this head would allow me to find the closure that I needed without that proverbial slap in the face Um, was it harsh yes it was uh, was it the hardest time of my life? Yeah, it was. You know, there are other things that are up there with it, but yeah, it was. Um, the person that died needed to die. Bear no bones about it. The person that I was needed to die and the reason that i needed to that that person needed to die was so that this person could be born because i was reborn a new creation in god but to my you know to my family to myself and there are still people out there that don't believe that i can change and you know what like i say it's mind over matter if i don't mind they don't matter fuck them I'm the same, mate. 
I, I used to people don't like you know if people don't like me that 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 would send me into a, a just this downward spiral i could not bear people not liking me the fact mm -hmm. that i fucking tried to smash the face in several times or the fact that i broke their cousin's kneecap with a baseball bat or the fact that i you know did this that or the other the fact that i told them nothing but lies that didn't factor into this thick old brain i am not that person i am not the sum of my mistakes i am not the sum of my sin i'm a whole new creation when the old me died the new me came and yeah there are still some remnants of that old me there are still some times when i think oh, you know um there, there are still times when i lose my temper there are still times when i um you know when i make mistakes when i talk to people wrong when i don't treat people with the respect that they deserve when i don't treat myself with the respect that i deserve yeah you know that's that's a big thing you can't love other people unless you love yourself and mm -hmm. I've, I've learned to like myself not necessarily love but i've learned <laughs> to like myself um yeah, it's not i easy. like my life it's true though it's definitely true like i'm the same way like i fucking hate hated myself my whole fucking life right and see see now I just think I've got nothing but fucking admiration for myself, mm -hmm. you know, and that's a strange, crazy feeling in my head to have that feeling not even up there now, because I think, wait a minute, you fucking, you, you, you're nearly 42 and you spent most of your life hating yourself and thinking about when you're going to die or, you know, preparing to die. And it's just like, what a fucking waste, you know, to, to think like that. I kind of focus on those things and those thoughts because that's a negative thing that will cause me to be depressed. Mm. So I, you know, I just choose on 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 now and what we're doing now and what we're what we're doing now. The the journeys that we're on, um, is fucking amazing. And mm. fuck anybody says otherwise. You know, these fucking wankers out there, mate. They're going to try and bring us down. They're going to fucking critique us. They're going to call us this, call us that. Fucking wankers, get on with it, right? You know, the fact is now that they didn't have, they didn't have an influence over you and me. And there was a time when these haters um, and trolls and stuff, when even as short back as a year ago, I remember being on Facebook and I remember soldiers coming on and fucking giving me a hard time. Um, fucking strangers, mate. And I remember getting depressed and upset and having a sleepless night, thinking, why are they hating on me? Why are they saying the, the horrible things to me? I didn't know how to cope. I didn't know how to cope with it now. And it took me this last year, you know, being on this journey, to realise, like, these people are so fucking irre irrelevant in my life that it doesn't even bear mentioning mm. their names, like, you know? And exactly. now, I pity them. I find some of them quite amusing. Um, but I do pity most of them because I think there's a deep hurt 
in those people who are lashing out at me. I think there's a deep part deep down inside that these people are hurting. So I do feel sorry for them a little bit. Um, not too much, of course, but I do pity them a little bit. And it's like, you know, try your hardest now. Like now, now it's like an, mm. an, an unbreakable fortress, like um, in my mind, mm. you know, and you'll have the same. It's just, we're just fuck me. Bring it on. We could let it get to us. I mean, I had it recently. You know, I, I put a picture of how I used to be, how I looked when I was in hospital with the thing on my nose and how I pretty much look now. And I put it on a, a recovery group and someone went, you still look sick. You know, there yeah. are always people that will try and pull you down. They will always try and drag you into their negative. Um, and that's all oh, it is, them trying to drag you into their negative to get you down to their level. Bring them up to your level. Never let them drag, drag you down to their level. Um, it's just, it's, it's jealousy, mate. It is. It's just nothing but jealousy for a lot of people where, you know, they just can't stomach, they just can't stomach seeing people being successful. Um, it makes them feel powerful by saying something negative and the hope that their negative comment will be so powerful that that person will stumble and fall and then they can take the credit for mm. causing that and thinking that I remember he was he was on his way somewhere and I said fucking that he still looked ill and I really fucking hurt him and and he went backwards and that was me. I'm fucking all powerful, you know, and mm. that's what that, that's what these people think. Um sorry Jack. That's all right. I, mate. I didn't I'm going. I am going to have to go. That's uh, just coming up for nine o'clock. So yeah. I, was, I was an hour and a half, and I didn't speak too much. I'll That's... give you the last minute to plug your book, and then yeah. then I'll cut it. Yeah. I, I, what What I'd like to do actually is, um, I know I've read it before, but I'd I'd, I'd like to read a poem. Yeah. Um, that explains what it's like when you're coming down from this mental, just so people can connect with our stories. And it yeah. kind of explains what it's like when, when you start seeing that reality and, and, and you start just getting back to power. And it took my daughter, um, who wasn't very old at the time, um, to bring me back down. And we were sat in the park and I'd, I'd come, I, 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 I was, you know, I was getting better from a particularly bad breakdown. I'd tried to punch my ex-wife's door off, um, you know, but... Um, you know, I, I, I started to get better. Um, and it's called Playground Battleground. Uh, and it was, I, I had a one Saturday and we were in the playground and, and this is where it came. And then I'll let you go, mate. All right, I promise. Yeah, take your thing, Jack. Playground Battleground. The sun shining, burning brightly on this gentle July afternoon. Heat kisses the back of my neck, yet slow. Soft summer breeze cools the skin on my aging face. And it feels nice. So nice. So there I sit silently, my gaze fixed upon her beauty. As she dances to the playful tune of childhood. Skipping and laughing. She away on her travels, her imagination working overtime. Having an adventure in her own personal wonderland. So I wear a look of pride and love upon my face. A look every doting father will wear. Playground now full. 
Other children joyfully playing to their own childhood songs as their parents look upon them with a similar gaze to my own. So I smile. Yet, as she plays, she plays alone and sadness begins to haze my view. Yet she smiles. I wonder why. Her playful spirit now interrupts as she is taken away from her wonderland in one fleeting moment as she rushes to the aid of an injured child. To her, in her mind, is an injured comrade fallen in the battle of the playground war. His knees grazed, shaking, crying, and filled with fear. And she, ever caring, her instinct overtakes and she looks upon her fallen friend with the same loving stare I have seen so many times before. The same loving look she gave her father on all too many times before. It's empathy personified. Her words wise, reassuring and calming. And healing comes as it always does as she smiles. His crying now a gentle sob as his fear begins to subside. And she is oh so old. For someone so young. As she gazes lovingly at his tear stained and dirty face, her smile turns to his grin as she softly says, Wanna play? So she takes him by the hand, friends, now for the lifetime of her stay in the playground battleground, knowing in reality that she may never see him again, and when her daddy takes her home, yet she smiles. And I still wonder why. So there I sit silently, peacefully for the first time in a long time, filled with pride, and once again, I feel nice, and it's so nice to feel nice. Cheers for giving me the platform, mate, and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much, Jack. I really enjoyed it, mate. Take care, mate. Hey, everyone. Good night.